we're in this conversation called the way of change. So you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6 in your programs, a place to take some notes. I do think there's an awful lot of things that are worthwhile writing down uh, this morning. What I want to talk to you about real quickly this morning for a few minutes is something like this. I want to talk to you about the way of change that leads to peace in your life. And the reason I want to start by telling you that right out of the gate is because I know some of you don't have peace in your life. Some of you came in here this morning and there's no peace in your life for whatever reason. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is the way of change that actually leads to being able to experience some peace in your life. We said this is that uh, different people have different relationships with, with this whole thing of change, right? Some of you hate it. Some of you are exhausted trying to change. We have said that a follower of Jesus, the way that they interact with change is this, is that for the follower of Jesus, so some of you are like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Some of you are like, I'm not. Some of you say, I'm not a follower. I'm just checking things out. I'm glad you're here. Like if you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the way of change isn't decorating the outside of your life with a lot of good stuff, with morality. But the way of change is more like producing fruit. That's what we've been saying. It's producing fruit in my life that begins to look like Jesus. John 15 says it this way. If we could throw that on the screen, there we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, look here a second. We said that can be this, if you abide in me, or we're saying it this way, if you practice the presence of Jesus in your life, if you remain in me, abide in me, or constantly practicing the presence of Jesus, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. That's the way of change, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here's what I want to talk to you about, this way of change that produces peace in your life. I want you to write it down this way. I want to talk to you about practicing the presence of Jesus, remaining, abiding in Jesus in prayer. Now, I know what you're thinking right away. You're like, came to church, I expect it. At some point, they were going to talk about prayer, right? You expect to hear that in church, right? I did a little research, 94%. Let me say it again, 94%. That's pretty high. 94% of Americans say they pray. Isn't that interesting? Now, the average amount of time in a day that they pray is one minute per day, but 94%, most people would say they pray. Most of the major religions somehow have prayer. And yet, if we're honest in the room, many of us have seen prayer kind of work out in different ways. And it can be a little bit confusing because of the way we've seen it. Some of you have learned and memorized prayers, right? You've learned to pray at certain times. Like some of you, like I pray before we eat. Some of you are like, every time we eat, that's when we pray. And maybe even you learn this cute little prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us what? Thank him for this food. Some of you learn that, right? Some of you learn to pray every morning when you get up. Rejoice, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's be glad in in him and things like that, right? Uh, When I think about praying in the morning, the best morning prayer that I have ever heard and I'm happy to send this to you if you need it, right? It goes like this. Think about starting your morning this way tomorrow. Dear Lord, so far today, I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped. I've not lost my temper. I've not been greedy. I've not been grumpy. I've not been nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. Lord, I haven't whined. I haven't complained. I haven't cursed. I haven't eaten any chocolate today. Lord, today I haven't charged anything on my credit card. 
but Lord, I'll be getting out of bed in a minute and I think I'm gonna need some help after I get out of bed, amen? That's a great way to start the day. Some of you learned to pray because your parents put you to bed at night and they taught you a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Some of you kind of learned that, right? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, which is kind of weird to pray over a kid, but if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I found a different option of that. See if this wouldn't work. I'll send it to you if you need it, right? It says this, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my shape to keep, right? Please no wrinkles, please no bags. Please lift my backside before it sags. Don't send me an email on that one, all right? (laughs) Please no age spots, please no gray. As for my belly, please take it away. Amen, right? Please keep me healthy, keep me young, and thank you, Lord, for all you have done, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways we learn. Some of us learn to pray Hail Mary prayers. Like, what is that, right? Well, Hail Mary prayers, when everything else fails, I do what? I pray, and some of us, that's how we learn to pray. Some of us, we learn to pray, and your grandma had this grocery list of prayers, right? And so she had a notebook full, and she prayed for everybody under the sun. So that must be what prayer is. Some of you, there's a prayer that's very near and dear to your heart called the serenity prayer. And if you're not familiar with the serenity prayer, it goes like this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. If you know it, say it with me out loud. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. I found an alternative to that one. See if this one doesn't work for you. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept stupid people the way they are. Courage to maintain my self-control and wisdom to know that if I act on it, I'll go to jail. (laughs) If you need that one, you might want to write that one down too, right? But here's the fact of the matter is there's all kinds of ways in which we maybe have learned to pray. When you look at the Bible, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about prayer. It's so important. It is the pathway to peace in your life. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus prayed a lot. In fact, if we could just do a survey, you don't need to turn there. Just look at the screen. If you just take a survey of the book of Luke, In Luke chapter three, here's what it says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was, say the word out loud, he was what? Praying. Heaven was open, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. At Jesus' baptism, he prayed, Luke four. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. In Mark one, when it tells the same story, it says when he went to that solitary place, he what? Say the word, where he what? Prayed. Luke chapter six, verse 12, it says, one of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to what? Say the words, to what? Pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, chose 12 of them. Before he even chose his posse, he prayed all night, right? Luke nine, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, James with him to a mountain where he went up into the mountain to what? Say the word aloud, to what? Pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed as the transfiguration. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples, that's just his followers, a parable that was a story to show them that they should always what? Say it out loud. Pray and not give up. When you look at Jesus' life, he prayed. He went to the garden before they were going to crucify him. What did he do in the garden? He prayed. On the cross, guess what Jesus did? He prayed. There is a whole chapter of the Bible that is just Jesus' prayer, John 17. 
When you look at the life of Jesus, he prayed, and if I'm gonna practice his presence, if I'm gonna adopt his patterns, if I'm gonna embrace his rhythm, that means somewhere along the way, I'm gonna have to pray. The question is this, well, if I need to be praying because Jesus prayed, then how in the world do I pray? Because we've been taught all kinds of different ways to pray, and that's a great question. It's such a great question that his disciples, the only time that I could find in the Gospels where they asked Jesus how to do something, they didn't ask him how to do miracles. They asked him how to what? Pray. In fact, in Luke 11, here's what it says. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him what? Lord, teach us to what? Say it out loud pray. So here's what I want to do this morning. I simply want to lean into that a little bit. You have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, and I want to answer three questions. Here's the first one. I want to learn from what Jesus taught them. What did Jesus teach about prayer? I think, look here a second, y'all are going to, we're going to look at something that's familiar in a way that maybe is unfamiliar. Like for some of you, we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus that some of you have memorized but you've never maybe taken the time to say, what in the world's going on in there? So we're gonna look at that. What did Jesus teach about prayer? Second, I wanna say, why is it so important? And I think at that point, it's gonna, it's gonna all of a sudden dawn on us, well, what is prayer? It's not just simply a religious decoration, but it's the way I practice the presence of Jesus in my life. And then I wanna simply get practical. How can I begin to practice prayer in my life? And I wanna share a story. I'm gonna give you the kind of, I wanna share a story with you that I hope you won't forget that will help you with prayer. Let's start here. What did Jesus teach about prayer? What did Jesus teach? Well, we're gonna look at Matthew 6 because there's some things in, that Jesus taught about prayer in response to this question, teach us how to pray. So you have your Bibles open. If you don't feel comfortable using a Bible, you can look at the screen, but we're gonna begin verse five. So look at verse five. Here's what it says. And when you pray. Now let me say this to start with. Jesus assumed his followers would pray. He assumed his followers would pray. So let's just start there. He says, when you pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. He kind of starts negative. For they, that think professional prayers, think really religious guys. These hypocrites, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. Verse six, but when you pray, because I assume you're gonna pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Let's stop for a minute, make observation and write something down. Jesus assumes his followers are gonna pray. But Jesus wants you and I to know something, that we, you ready, can pray wrong. You got to get that, that we can, that he starts negative. You got to see that in there. And he wants us to know we can pray wrong. And the first thing he says is don't pray like the hypocrites, those religious professional prayers. And what Jesus is teaching is this. If you're taking notes, I would write this down. He says this, don't pray to the wrong audience. Don't pray to the wrong audience. How do I know if I'm praying to the wrong audience? Let me give you two ways to know that. I can tell if I'm praying to the wrong audience if when I'm praying, I'm trying to impress you. 
if when I'm praying, listen, I was talking to a guy earlier today and, and he was saying, hey, why is it that people get so nervous when somebody asks them to pray? And I honestly think the reason for that, right? Some of you are like, man, don't ever ask me to pray at family functions. Or like that. I think the reason is because we're afraid we're going to sound stupid. We're not going to sound like, in fact, I had somebody say to me one time, this is what they said to me, hey, would you pray? I, I said, I'm happy to pray. Uh, and they said, well, we want you to pray. And here's what they said to me, because you're a good what? Prayer. Of course, you're a preacher, right? You're a good prayer. What Jesus is saying is, that's silly. He's saying, when, when that becomes the goal, you're praying to the wrong audience. It becomes a decoration, like, well, I'm a good prayer, I hope they ask me to pray. I hope they look at what I said when I prayed. See, when I pray and I want to impress you, I'm not, I'm not, prayer is talking to the Father, talking to the wrong audience. The second way I can know I'm praying to the wrong audience is if I'm not just trying to impress you. You ready? Because see if you've ever experienced this. But if I pray and I'm trying to impress something on you, you ever been with somebody who prayed that way? They preach a sermon in their prayer. Don't look at them, but they preach a sermon every time they pray. Like you might be struggling with something. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while. Oh, Lord, I pray. I pray that we would see the importance of going to church every week. And they all of a sudden start praying for everything you're struggling. You ever been with somebody like that? Yeah, when I pray to, listen, listen, might be good intentions. You want good things for that person, but that's not what prayer is. That's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't stop there. He's equal opportunity. Look what he says. We're just kind of going through this verse by verse. Verse seven when you pray, because I assume you're going to pray, he says, don't keep on babbling or repeating over and over and over again like pagans. That's simply uh, unchurched, irreligious people. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. He's saying, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. Here's what he's saying. He starts with these two negatives. He said, don't talk to the wrong audience. And he says, don't pray with wrong expectations and motives. That's what he's saying. He's saying, that's the way pagan people do, irreligious people. They think that if they keep saying it over and 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 over, they'll get God's attention. You ever been with somebody like that? Like I just keep over and over the same prayer. I repeat the same prayer. I keep saying the same thing. Some of you are raised that way. The religion you were raised in just keep saying the same thing over and over and maybe I'll get God's attention. Prayer is not me saying the same thing over and over again to get God's attention. Prayer is recognizing I have God's attention. It's different. Which leads Jesus to say this. Look at your Bibles. Here's what he says, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. And then he kind of begins to give us a model. This is not something he says, I want you to memorize and pray every time you pray. He said, I want you to understand about prayer. And I want you to see there is power in here. And look here a second. And not everything he says in here is gonna be easy for us to hear. We okay with that? Shake your head. We okay with that? Yeah, it is. Not everything's gonna be easy to hear. Look what he says first. He starts by saying, you gotta start with the right audience. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father. The audience of my prayer is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's what he's saying. If you and I wanna pray in a way that focuses on this end of the branch, not a decoration, but focuses on this end of the branch, it starts with recognizing the audience of our prayer is our Father in heaven. I would write it down this way. Prayer, Jesus wants us to know prayer is a conversation. It's not a religious ritual. 
It's a conversation that stems from a relationship with God as my father. That's what prayer is. Please, some of you are like, stay with me on this. The place prayer begins is with a relationship with God, that God is inviting us into a relationship with him. The reason this is so important, friends, is I meet people all the time and they all want me to know, Pastor, I pray, I'm a praying man. But when I begin to talk to them about their relationship with God that can only come through Christ, that's a different story. Prayer starts with a relationship that God loves us, that Jesus died for us. And the only way, listen close, for me to have a relationship with God as my father is through Jesus. That is the only way for me to have this conversation with him as my father is to recognize Jesus as my savior. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, start this way. It starts by a relationship. And then he says this word we never use, hallowed. Isn't that kind of a cool word, right? Try to use that sometime this week somewhere, okay? Here's what it means. It means to be set apart. It means to be respected. It means to be holy. You're saying, what's he saying? I wanna teach you something. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you pray, when I pray, we are talking, having a conversation with our daddy, Now listen close, I want you to remember how I'm gonna say this. And he wants you and I to know this, our daddy, God, is a big deal. That's what he wants us to know. That's the easiest way for me to say it so you'll remember it. In fact, he wants us to know he's not just a big deal, he is the whole deal. That's what he wants us to know. Think about it this way. You ever think about what it would be like to have LeBron James as your father? Like, I, whatever you think about him as a basketball player and the fact that he left Cleveland, let that alone for a second, okay? But, but I've watched documentaries and so he's got kids and imagine these kids when they're little, when LeBron James is daddy, that's who he is. And, and you, you'll see pictures of him. He's the guy who's sitting on the couch drinking a Sprite or whatever he's drinking, right? And they're running and jumping on him and wrestling and shooting baskets. He's daddy, 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 daddy. Imagine, stay with me on this example. When they got old enough, to go to the arena. And all of a sudden, they hear the PA announcer say, and now from Akron, Ohio, 6'6", whatever, whatever, starting forward for the LA Lakers, used to be Cleveland Cavaliers, Miami Heat, whoever he plays for, right? LeBron James, and the whole place goes crazy. Can you imagine being his kid the first time and realizing that's my daddy? That's my daddy. I was just jumping on his lap last night and this whole place is freaking out. Can you imagine realizing like, my daddy, the daddy that I'm watching shave in the morning, my daddy is a big deal. That's all Jesus is saying. That he wants us to realize when we talk to God, our daddy is a big deal. That when he speaks, mountains tremble. When he speaks, millions of angels lean in to listen. When he speaks, all of creation sings. That's all Jesus wants us to know, that prayer is intimacy with the Almighty. For some of us, this rearranges our prayer life. I write it down this way. Prayer is an experience of both awe and intimacy when I talk to God as my Father. 
Prayer is experiencing both awe and intimacy when I talk to God as my father. You see, here's why it's important. Listen close. Some of you, you're like, I pray. But for some of you, prayer is all about intimacy and there's no awe. So you love the fact that God is your daddy. And so what happens when prayer is all intimacy and no all, here's what happens, you ready? We get flippant with our prayers. Yo, God, you ever been with somebody pray like that? Hey, big guy upstairs, my big pal in the sky. God is not your big pal in the sky. That's what Jesus said. It's not, not like you and me, Right? You see, what happens when I have all intimacy and know all, I forget who I'm talking to. I shared this several years back. For some reason, it stuck with some of you, and some of you weren't here. But I had one of my kids who that's the way they would address me. You know, they, 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 they got to a certain age, and I will not sell this kid out and tell you who it is, but he's pastoring over at Barberton right now. But, <laughs> but <laughs> so God, God's worked, right? But I remember he got to this certain age, like, and he's just testing the limits, you know, like with, with dad. And I remember him walking in the house. I remember the day it happened. He's like, hey, dude, is what he said. And I remember that kind of like, and I remember what I said to him. I said, you know something, buddy? I am not your dude. I'm not your dude. I'm your dad. Like, like, like I love you. We're going to wrestle, but there's this intimacy, but I'm not, I'm not just your dude. I'm not like, that's not what I'm, for some of us, that's prayer. It's like, yo, dude. And he's not our dude. He's our daddy, right? For others of us, we, we err on the other side. It's all, it's all about experiencing all like, oh God, the powerful. And, and so what happens is our prayers are all about all and there's no intimacy. And so our prayers are cold, there's no relationship. And I think Jesus in masterful fashion just says, hey, you wanna know something? Like, like this whole idea of prayer is all about this experience of all in intimacy. Our daddy's a big deal. Then he goes on. This, this next thing he says will change the way you pray. This verse, we could stop. Verse 10, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen close. This will change the way some of us pray. Jesus starts out saying right audience and then right attitude. And he says, prayer does not start, hey God, guess what? I need a da 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 and my grocery list. But prayer, Tim Keller says it this way. Tim Keller says prayer, can we throw that up there? There we go. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God has already started. That's what prayer is, that somehow prayer is recognizing our father is a king who has a kingdom, that our father is a God who has a will. This will clear up why some of us are frustrated with prayer, because for some of us in the room, we see prayer as like this cosmic vending machine, that we come to God, push the button, and we hope that we get what we wished for. And for some of us, we push the button and we get something different. There's nothing more frustrating than that, right? For many of us, we see prayer as somehow bending God to our wishes. 
And so we come in prayer to God and we say, God, here's what I want. We want to bend him. Prayer is not a vending machine. Prayer is coming to the table of a father who's the king. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he has a will and a kingdom. Here's the best way for me to describe prayer. I got three kids and my youngest, Aaron. So the other son, I got two boys and a girl. Youngest, when he was younger, Some of you know Aaron. When he was younger, it's still true now, but when he was younger, his love language, and I think most kids are this way, but his love language was time, not quality. Aaron wanted no quality time, quantity. As much time as he could spend with me and Jennifer, the better. And he used to do something when I would come home after work, and I'll never forget, it makes me think of what Jesus is teaching here. When I would walk in the door, he would be sitting there, and this is the question he would ask me most of the time. He would look at me and say, hey, Dad, what are we doing tonight? What was he asking me? He said, Dad, what are the plans I want to make sure that I'm a part? That's all Jesus is teaching here. He's simply saying prayer, let's throw that up there, Dave. Prayer begins by listening to God. And then I I wanna know, what are you up to, God? What are you doing? And then I wanna respond by surrendering my wishes to your will. When I would go home, if Aaron had made up his mind, I'm gonna do this, 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 and this tonight. I wanna make sure I do this. And I told him, you know something, Aaron? I think tonight... We're going to go get some ice cream and throw the football. He was going to bend everything he planned to be a part of what I was doing. Everything he had planned wasn't going to be like, well, Dad, you know, I had planned to do some homework, man. I don't want to go get some ice cream. He never did that, right? He always would exchange his plans for what I was doing. That's all Jesus is teaching here. He's saying that when we come, it begins by listening The reason some of us struggle, listen, listen, listen. The reason some of us struggle in prayer is we never have taken the time to listen to what God's doing. And this is why our prayers sound like American middle-class prayers. God bless me, keep me safe, I don't want any pain, and a little extra money would be great. Instead of like a kingdom prayer, God, I recognize you're a king, you own it all, and that you have a will and you've expressed that will, and I want to hear what that will is, and then I want to bend my wishes to your will. That changed the way you pray. Jesus goes on. He says, prayer starts with the right audience, the right attitude. Look at verse 11. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. Look here a second. Let's just make short work of this. Key word in there is today key word in there is today. It makes me think of being a father. How many in here are parents? Raise your hand, just you, you, nice and high, right? Some of you are like, I don't know, am I? Like, <laughs> you're I saw a guy with like, his wife's like, you're a parent, right? Listen, if you're a parent, you know what I'm getting ready to say. You know what, when my kids were, were little, you know, you know what I could count on? Every day, you know what I count on? Every day they showed up to our table. Like if you have kids, you know that, right? When they live in your home at supper time, every day they'd show up. And when they showed up to our table and my wife had made this supper and I'm sitting at one end, my wife's on the other end, guess what? I mean, I don't know how your home works, right? But they showed up and they never brought any money to buy the food that night. It wasn't a bad idea, but they never did it, right? 
They, they never came to my table and said, hey, dad, was I good enough today to come to the table? No, why did they come to the table? They came to the table because they were my what? They were my what? Children. And they came to the table and they partook and they loved coming to the table. They loved their mom's cooking. They would come every day. You know what else my kids never did? They never, when they came to the table, stored away some of the food just in case there wasn't something tomorrow. You see how that works? That's all Jesus is teaching, that when we pray, we come to the table of a father who is a really big deal, who has a kingdom and a will, and we want to bend our wishes to his will, and we come declaring gratitude and dependence. In fact, I would write that down. Prayer is simply a daily, that's the key word, declaration of my gratitude. Thank you, God, for the way that you take care of me. Thank you for providing for me. And it is a daily declaration of my dependence to God, who is my Father. That's all Jesus is teaching. I keep coming every day because I trust him. And then, verse 12. In verse 12, Jesus says, after give us today our daily bread, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I don't know about you, maybe you're different than me, but when I need forgiveness from God, I want it free and fast. Anybody with me? Just shake your head like you're with me. Are you with me? Because if you're not there, man, we need to talk. Like when I need God to forgive me, it's like, oh man, I need that fast. I want this guilt. I want it off. I want it away and, and, and free. I love grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. But when it comes to forgiving others, sometimes I'm not so fast and sometimes it's not so free. And I'm fascinated with the fact that Jesus in this prayer connects them. You see, the prayer starts, and you need to come back in three weeks. We're going to dig into this. The prayer starts with saying, I want to come before my father in, in, in an act of confession. Now, I want to teach you something. Here's what Jesus is saying. When I come before my father who sits at the head of the table, I am coming. Listen close. My dad was this way. I was this way as a dad. I'm coming before a father he already knows. He already knows the worst thing you've done. He already knows the worst thing you've thought about this morning. He already knows the habit you can't break. He already knows the things that your wife or your husband or no one else knows. He already knows. Your daddy is a big deal. He knows. He already knows. And here's what Jesus is teaching. That prayer is coming into the table and presence of my father and not informing him of anything. That's not what confession is. But confession is me agreeing with him about something and saying, you know, and here's what I want to say, what I am doing, what I am thinking, I'm going to come into agreement with you on that. I'm bringing into the light of agreement, not the light of information. 
He already knows. And so Jesus says this, when we come, we come and we confess. But he doesn't just say we confess. Look back at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have what? Say it out loud. Forgiven our debtors. You jump down two verses. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Oh boy. What is he saying? I would write it down this way. Long statement. Leave it up there a while, David. Prayer is agreeing with my father that I need his forgiveness. But he doesn't stop there. That's good. By the way, come back in three weeks. Like, I'm not coming now. Come. It'd be a hard sermon, but come. By reflecting with my father on how I extend forgiveness to others. I think the point is this. None of us, none of us would feel real comfortable right now saying, God, would you please forgive me the way I'm forgiving my wife? God, would you please forgive me the way I'm forgiving my husband? God, would you please forgive me the way I'm forgiving my neighbor? None of us would probably feel great about that because some of us are having a hard time forgiving. And Jesus connects the two. What he's saying is this. You're saying, help me understand this. I'd be happy to. Here's what he's saying. It is, ready? It is hard for me to come to the table with my father at the head and ask him for grace and mercy and forgiveness while I kick my brother and sister under the table. That's what he's saying. Then he says this. Can can we say this before we end? Like, can we say, some of you grew up memorizing this prayer? This is commonly known as what? The what? Say it louder, the what? I think that's a bad name for it. I'm going to mess up some of y'all's plaques. Uh, Right? I, I, I really think it's a bad name for it. You can keep your plaque, but I don't think this is... The Lord's Prayer, I think John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. You want to see Jesus' prayer, look at John 17. You check me on it. I think this is Jesus teaching his followers a disciple's prayer, a follower's prayer. Because then he says this in verse 13, there's so much here, it's not just to be memorized, it's not just a religious ritual. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the most confusing part of the prayer, if you ask me. And I think the key to understanding what he's saying here is that word temptation. That word temptation, just so you know kind of what's going on here, it's a Greek word that can mean a trap or it can mean a test or a trial. I think what he's saying is this. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus already told us that we would have hard times in our life. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody live long enough to realize that? We will face trials. We will, like Jesus didn't want us to be surprised. If you're, some of you are young and and maybe you haven't gone through it, you will face hard times. You, like Jesus, I love that about Jesus. He is so out front with it. He's like, you will have trouble in this world. I think what we're praying here is this. Jesus, when hard times and trials come, I want the hard times in my life, I want my father, you ready? to develop me in them, I don't want Satan to destroy me because of them. I think that's what he's saying. 
I think I would write it this way, that prayer is asking God to change me, not just my circumstances. I think that it's asking God, would you change me, not just my, now, is there a problem changing my, no, you can pray that, but for many of us, if we're honest, that's where we spend the bulk of our time. And here's, you come back in four weeks, because we're going to talk about how the hard times in our life become the most profound moments for me to draw into the vine, into my relationship with Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus is praying. It's like, I don't want Satan to trap me. I don't want somehow this hard time to be a way for Satan to trap me in bitterness and resentment. But I want this hard time to somehow drive me into Jesus so that you, God, can develop me. Jesus is teaching this prayer. And it leads maybe to the second question. And maybe I would write the question down this way. Well, Jesus taught them how to pray. Why in the world is prayer so important? Why in the world is prayer so important? And in order to answer that question, I want to show you something, and then I want to tell you a story. Philippians 4 is where I would go. If, if you write in your Bibles, by the way, I would recommend you do that. There's no extra points in heaven for clean Bibles. Honestly, there isn't. I would mark this passage up. I would highlight it, star it, come back to it, memorize it. Philippians 4, look at what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you were here two weeks ago, it said celebrate in the Lord always. I will say it again, celebrate, rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness, your moderation, your calmness, your under controlness be evident to all. And then what's the next phrase? Everybody say it out loud. The what? Lord is near. And then he says, don't be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think the key to this passage isn't that some of you grew up in church, and the key was rejoice and all that. I think the key is in the phrase, the Lord is near. Here's how I want you to write it down. Prayer is practicing the presence of Jesus in my life. That's what Paul is teaching. The Lord is near. Prayer is me recognizing, acknowledging the constant presence of Jesus in my life. And when you read Philippians 4, now listen close. You don't need to throw this up there, David. I'm just going to go off road. When you read Philippians 4, there's three things he says. He says, because the Lord is near, rejoice in the Lord always. You ought to write this down somewhere. In the presence of Jesus, I can celebrate. Some of us have stopped celebrating. Well, joy is found in my relationship with Jesus. But then he says this, because the Lord is near, let your gentleness be evident to all. What is he saying? He's saying, in the presence of Jesus, I can trust. Everybody in the room who would call themselves a Christian, lean in. He's saying, Christians... Quit freaking out about everything. That's what he's saying. Like when, when I come into the presence of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, I don't have to freak out. 
every news item that comes from, I don't know, and panic, and what, oh, what's going to happen? These people are there. He's saying, let your gentleness, your moderation, your calmness. Why can I be calm? Because the Lord's near. He's right here. My daddy's a big deal. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus, oh, what's going to happen to me? In the presence of Jesus, my daddy's kind of a big deal. See how that works? And then he says, in the presence of Jesus, I can relax. He said, don't be anxious for anything. I don't need to worry, but present. He said, I can, I can dump my worries to my daddy. Back in 1 Peter, he says, cast all your cares on me. Why? I care for you. You see, then he says, when that happens, this peace of God that transcends understanding, people won't understand it. Guards your hearts. What's he saying? I would say this, practicing the presence of Jesus in prayer is the pathway to peace in my life. Honest to goodness, guys, if you think about it, it's the, when I, when I practice the presence of Jesus in prayer, it's the pathway to peace because what guards my heart shows up as fruit in my life. Guys, don't make this too hard. Just think about it. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus in my life, I stop remembering how awesome my daddy is. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus, I stop remembering how much God loves me. And all of a sudden, guilt and shame begin to take over me. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus in my life, it becomes about my wishes and what I want. And I get mad at God because he's not coming through the way I want. I got no peace. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus in my life, all of a sudden, instead of gratitude and dependence, there's discontent and complaining. No peace. When I stop practicing the presence of Jesus in my life, I forget how much I've been forgiven. And when I forget how much I've been forgiven, I find it hard to forgive. And there's resentment. And some of you don't have peace this morning because all you have is resentment and bitterness. You see, practicing the presence of Jesus in my life is the pathway to peace that will guard my heart and grow from my life. So how do I do this? How do I pray? Three quick things, done. Three quick things, done. First is this, I gotta start by accepting God's invitation to have a relationship with him. You gotta hear me on this. I, I, the preacher didn't tell you to just go pray today. It's prayer stems from a relationship. And this morning, God is inviting you to have a relationship with him that can only come through Jesus. And some of you would say, I'm a praying man, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I'm not being mean, I'm not picking. Some of you are like, I'm in church. That's awesome, keep coming, I love it. But the key is to have a relationship with Jesus. The only way for me to get to the table of prayer and having a conversation with God as my father is if I come holding Jesus' hand and I say, yes, Jesus, you're my savior. Yes, Jesus, you're my Lord. It's the only way. 
You see, once that happens, once I say yes to Jesus, then I would suggest this. Carry on a constant conversation with God who is your father throughout the day. This might transform some of y'all's prayer life. Because if, if he is present, he is in the room right now, then why would I not carry on a conversation with him? Think about it this way. I'm married to a lady named Jennifer. Some of you know her. My entire life is connected to her. Every minute of every day, what I do think is somehow, can, we text throughout the day. How's it going? What are you doing? How, if I have a decision and she's at work, I'm like, hey, what do you think about it, right? Might call. We have this, con- everything I do, everything I think is connected to her. Well, imagine if my father is God and he's constantly present. Why would I not acknowledge his presence every minute of every day? Reminds me of a story that I heard when I was in college, and I never forgot it's by a guy named Brennan Manning. Some of you might know that name, some of you, it doesn't matter, but he's talking about a, a man who was in the hospital, sick, deathly sick. The man's daughter would go visit him, but she asked the new pastor in town to go, go visit her, her dad. The new pastor showed up to the hospital room. The man was propped up in his bed and the pastor recognized over in the corner was an empty chair. The pastor said to the man in the bed, the daughter wasn't there, said, oh, you were expecting me. Your daughter told you I was coming. The man in the bed said, no, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Pastor was taken back. I'm the new pastor in town. Your daughter asked if I'd come visit you. And then the pastor said, I just saw the empty chair and I thought maybe you were expecting company. The man looked at the young pastor and he said, would you shut the door? I don't want anybody to hear what I'm going to tell you, especially my daughter. I don't want her to hear this because I'm afraid if she hears this, she'll think I'm going crazy, not just sick. He said, but years ago, preacher, I would hear people talk about prayer and I thought that's something I can never do. That's something that's so beyond me. That's something that religious people do. Until one day I heard a guy explain prayer this way. He said, if you want to think about prayer, just get in your room, place an empty chair across from you, and begin talking to Jesus who's in the room. And he said, I began doing that. He said, it transformed my prayer life. He said, I have constant conversations with Jesus. And he said, it helps me to put an empty chair. Just so I'm like, there you go, Jesus. He said, so I asked the nurses to place an empty chair in my hospital room so that I could talk to Jesus in my final days. The preacher was overwhelmed by the story. He said, what an incredible story. And he prayed with the man and left. The next day, the man's daughter came in and shared a moment, and she went to the store to run some errands. When she came back, her father had passed. She called the young preacher. She said, I just want you to know that my daddy, my daddy passed away. The young preacher said, did he go in peace? She said, I shared a moment with him earlier today. He kissed me on the cheek, told me a corny joke, and then I went to the store. And then when I came back, I found my father dead. But she said, preacher, 
There's something really weird. I don't understand it, and I don't know what to make of it. She said, when I walked in the room, my daddy was partway out of his bed, and his head was laying in that empty chair. That was a man for whom conversation with Jesus was real. Because literally in his final moments, he decided, I'm just going to lay my head in the lap of the one I'm following. You see, for some of you, I don't know what prayer is. It's still out there. It's like, and literally, maybe you just need to grab an empty chair. Maybe you need to have that empty seat on the way to work and have a conversation. Constant conversation. Which leads to the last thing I would say, and that's this. I would plan to have a deliberate conversation with God who is your father. In my relationship with Jennifer all day long, we're constantly communicating, constantly communicating. But my wife and I plan times to have deliberate conversations. We would be in deep weeds relationally if we didn't. And I would look at you and say, plan a time to have a deliberate conversation with God. And follow the teaching of Jesus as you do. For some of you, maybe that's the first thing in the morning. For some of you, maybe it's planning a walk every day. For some of you, maybe it's the last thing at night. For some of you, maybe you need to plan a retreat with Jesus. I don't know. For others of you, you fill in the blank. But to have deliberate conversation, it is the pathway to peace. It is the way to abide, practice the presence of Jesus. And so our Father, you are our Daddy, and we acknowledge that you are the big deal. And we believe that you're a king with a kingdom and you have a will and we want to listen well so that we can respond and surrender our wishes to your will. We are so grateful for the way you take care of us and we believe you own everything. So thank you for your provision and we trust you. Forgive us for demanding forgiveness from you without extending it. And would you help us to forgive others from the overflow of how you've forgiven us? And some of us in this room are going through a really hard time. It's a trial right now. And God, would you please develop us and train us so that Satan wouldn't destroy us and trap us? And I pray that in your presence, we would celebrate, we would relax, and we would trust. Thanks for this teaching this morning, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.